sometimes it's just their own barrier that they've placed. You know, I can't do this. And, you know, and I tell them, Hey, I mean, I, I grew up in a single white trailer. My dad was in prison my entire life. You know, wow. anybody can do this, you know, but you've got to change your mindset and go, yeah, okay. I can sell 20 cars or I can sell 30 cars. Or maybe it's 15. Maybe they've never sold 15. I can sell 15, you know, so it's just getting out of your own way and going, yeah, I can do that. Are you on the hunt for ways you can not only fit your sales goals, but become the top sales producer within your organization? Each week on this podcast, we are bringing on industry sales leaders to share the skill set and mindset needed to become a top sales producer. I'm Carlos Correa, and I want to welcome you to the Close More podcast sponsored by iSales CRM. Let's dive into today's conversation. Hi, everyone. My name is Roger, and welcome to the Close More podcast sponsored by iSales CRM. Today, I have Josh Letsis. And uh, Josh, I would like for you to introduce yourself and tell us a little bit more about you. Hey, guys. Yeah, my name is Josh Letsis. Obviously, uh, Roger's introduced me. I'm the managing partner at Medved Chevrolet, Cadillac, and Kia. So I've got three stores in uh, just outside of Denver in Colorado. Been in the car business my entire life. From the time I was 18, I started selling cars. And, uh, was, you know, for me, it was just supposed to be a summer job and 20 some odd summers later, I'm still here doing it. And I, I love the business, I love every aspect of it. I love the change and progression it's gone through. And it's, you know, it's been good to me. I've had a whole bunch of success. Like I said, started selling cars. So now I'm a, a partner in, in three dealerships. And that's amazing. And I know that you were the youngest GM at AutoNation. Is that right? Or one of the youngest? I'm sure someone's surprised. Yeah. Uh, yeah. At the, at the time I was about goodness. I don't know, 15 years ago, maybe. I don't know how long it's been now. Um, at the time I was, yeah, I was 28 years old. So I'm sure somebody over the last few years has surpassed me. Maybe some 27 or 26-year-old got promoted. But uh, yeah, at the time I was uh, 28 years old, uh, GM in automation. That's awesome, man. And you really do have a proven track history. I know that you have a, a pretty good business relationship with John Elway as well. Yeah. Yeah. I was a business partner with Elway in a Chevrolet store here in Denver. I was partners with him for about five or six years. And we were uh, the number one Chevrolet store uh, wow. for five or six years in a row at the time. And they have been ever since I left. And now my new Chevrolet store, my goal is to knock them off of that platform. So we uh, we bought the store in August, moved up from the number four spot to the number two spot for the state of Colorado. And now it's a whole new year. So now our, our goal this year is to, to knock all my buddies over there at LA, knock them off of that pedestal. There you go. That friendly competition, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and I know that your store is actually doing really, really well this year. Uh, you guys are 53% over a uh, year to year comparison, right? Yeah. Yeah. We were up about uh, 35% in used cars and we were up 53% in new at the Chevrolet store. Kia was up uh, a little less, closer to 20%. Um, the Kia store in Cadillac was also up about 20 or 25%. So all in all, you know, we had a had a really good January. I know some people struggled and you know, there were some inventory issues and all that, but you know, we, uh, we just kind of figured out you got to sell what you have. And you know, if we have Equinox and we don't have Silverados, well, guess what? We're going to sell a bunch of Equinox or Bolts or, you know, whatever that is. So we did a really good job. The team did a really good job kind of isolating what they had to sell, selling it, and then not letting any excuses come in the way. Cause it's easy to sit back and go, yeah, inventory on, especially on the general motor side is just tough. And it has been for a year used car inventory is tough and it has been for, you know, since you know, April or, you know, whatever the, the, the pandemic really got going. Uh, but rather than sitting back and going, I can't do it. We just said, no, it's not an option. We've got to figure out what we can do. 
and we did a good job, you know? So I, I think that March was when the lockdowns really started to happen in Colorado. So, you know, the, those few months there will be a little skewed, but, uh, but all in all, I, I think we'll, we'll absolutely crush our 2020 numbers and 2020 with the exception of a couple months for most stores was really good. So I think, awesome. uh, I think we'll, we'll do even better. That's awesome, Josh. And what would you attribute to your success? Is it the closing bid training method or um, is it the new uh, Chuck character that you have going on? Uh, what, what would you say? Yeah. Really the, what, what's, what's pushing you guys towards success? Yeah. I mean, uh, kind of all the above, right? It's not one thing. There's never a, a, a silver bullet, some magic pill that a lot of guys are always looking for as to, Hey, if I do this all sudden, you know, it's a whole bunch of things. A lot of it was culture. We changed the culture and, you know, like I said, we bought the store in August. So, you know, I came in uh, August 3rd and we started doing things differently. One of them was the store always was a shirt and tie store. So one of the first things we did is uh, I came in with a tie, even though I'm not really a tie guy anymore and everybody's wearing ties and, you know, ceremoniously we took the ties off and we all did that together. Um, a lot of marketing, we switched up the, the marketing. They were pretty heavy, uh, traditional marketing TV, radio. So we switched that up. We're a hundred percent digital, whether it's Facebook or YouTube or OTT, whatever that is. So we, uh, you know, we've switched that up and then training, we do our training, you mentioned training. So obviously I, I've got a, a training platform that I created when I left Elway and that's what I did for a few years and I still have it. And uh, we've got a whole bunch of clients all, all over the country that use it. And it's online videos uh, to help with, with sales training. And so we watch a, a sales training video every single day at nine o'clock. We talk about it for 15, 20 minutes. And then we go walk our trades and that's kind of how we get our day started uh, with our salespeople. So we get a little bit of training done every single day. And, um, you know, and then, you know, you brought up Chuck and that's part of our, our marketing persona that we've been doing. We've been having a, a, a whole bunch of fun with different things that we can do on social media and on with video, especially. And so whether that's, we put it on Facebook or whether we put it on YouTube or whether we put it on OTT, which is like a TV for connected or commercials for connected TVs, you know, however we decide we want to use that, we use it. And then we brand it. And we branded ourselves differently than every other car dealership out there. We offer a lifetime warranty, which is not, uh, you know, totally unique to us, but it's fairly unique. And, uh, you know, we do things like that to show our customers that we really do care about you, about, you know, the process and, and everything. And, you know, one of my kind of guiding philosophies all throughout my career has been I treat everybody like they're my mom, my dad, my brother, or my sister. And I tell the team and that I use that for employees also, but, you know, talking about customers, I tell my team that, you know, am I always going to get along with my brother? No. You know, do I want to punch him in the nose sometimes? Yeah. But at the end of the day, if he's got a problem, I'm going to try and take care of him. You know, so if that's a, a used vehicle, we sold somebody a used car 30 days ago and it broke down. If that was my brother, what would I do? Would I say, no, hit the bricks? Probably not. You know, I may say, you know, hey, uh, if you would have bought the warranty, you'd have a $200 deductible, pay me 200 bucks, I'll pay the rest. Or, you know, you pay parts, I'll pay labor or, you know, split it with me 50-50. Or, you know, I mean, there's a hundred different scenarios that we could run through that I would do if that was my brother. So if we treat all of our customers that way, 97% of them are going to be happy. You're going to have the 3% that, you know, no matter what you do, uh, you give them the car for free and you're going to be upset about having to pay taxes on it, you know? <laughs> but if you have that mentality, most of your customers will be happy. Happy customers pay more profit. Happy customers come back. Happy customers refer their friends and family. Happy customers, you're going to have happier salespeople. I mean, nothing bad happens when you have a happy customer. Absolutely. And I guess having that happy customer just goes back into treating everybody that comes into your dealership like family, right? Yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, I guess 
that would lead us into more of like uh, relationships and really building that communication with your team. How, how, how would you do that? How do you kind of, I guess, articulate that to your team? We meet every day at nine o'clock. Um, right. You know, as we have a sales meeting every day and I try not to keep them long. You know, some people are like, oh my God, every day, every day, every day, nine o'clock. You know, we, like I said, we do training every single day at nine it's o'clock. Into, it's about getting into that mindset. hundred percent. Yeah. It's, you know, most dealerships, you know, when it comes to training, um, they treat it like an event, you know, Hey, I did that. You know, I never have to do it again. And that's just not the way any other elite profession treats it. You know, and I use sports all the time, but you know, you got the Patriots and you got the Kansas City Chiefs getting ready for the Super Bowl right now. They're not going, Oh my gosh. Yeah. We've had, we've been practicing every day for the last four months. We don't need to practice. You know, they practice every single day. And it's a, we treat that same thing with our salespeople. And, you know, you get some salespeople who are engaged and, you know, they'll tell you, oh, I've done it. I've been in the business forever, et cetera. Uh, but it doesn't matter. I mean, you know, any good baseball player, they take batting practice every day. They can't say, you know, since I was this tall, I was swinging a baseball bat. I never have to do it again. I'll just wait for the game time. I'm always better in the game. You know, that's what some salespeople will tell you. I'm better in front of a customer. Well, that's my customer. And I don't want you practicing with my customer. You know, so the the training aspect is super important and it goes into that sales meeting. So we talk every day about any little thing that's going on and, you know, anything, you know, and it's a lot of little stuff that you say over and over again, make sure you put your keys back, you park your trades where they're supposed to go, you know, that sort of thing. But it just adds that level of communication. And then, you know, I, I give the meeting also, and that's, you know, it's maybe not for every owner, especially if you've got a whole bunch of stores, you know, right now I, I, our stores are all right next to each other. So I can do it. I'm getting ready to buy another store that's about 20 minutes away. So that, you know, may challenge me from that aspect, but uh, I, I'm hyper involved with my staff. They know that uh, I care about them genuinely. You know, I, I desk, you know, half the deals on Saturday, you know, kicked my desk manager out and said, I want to sit down and just told my salespeople, Hey, you've got the boss sitting here right now. And I don't do this for practice. I'm going to make some deals. So you get somebody to say, yes, I want to buy a car, which is the hardest thing in the world that a salesperson can do is to get that customer to say, yes, I want to buy the car. You bring them to me. And if there's a deal there, I will make a deal. You know, if there, I promise you, they will, you will not call somebody up on Monday morning and they'll say, oh, I bought a car down the road. Not going to happen. If you get them to say, yes, I want to buy our car. We're going to make the deal. So I need you to do the hard part, which is get them committed. And then I'll do the rest, which is the easy part. I'm just going to bang away on the computer and I'm going to make you a car deal. So I, I think that has a lot to do with, you know, how the staff has reacted. Um, you know, because honestly, it's all the same staff. I haven't really replaced very many people. So it's not like I came in and, you know, blew out a bunch of people and brought in my own team. Um, I'm doing all of this with the same team that's been here for, God, some of them 20 years. That's incredible. So you really helped all those individuals grow professionally and that in turn led to more deals yeah a lot of it was i just let them do what they needed to do you know i took took the leash off and just said hey you're the stud car guy or car gal you go do what you need to do i'll give you some direction you know i'll help with some marketing and drive some customers to you but at the end of the day i mean i don't do it you know i'm i was about 53 percent. they did it they're you know, day to day they're sitting in the chair they're doing it every day. They're talking to customers. They're coaching their salespeople. You know, they're doing all of that. So, I mean, it was just awesome to watch them do it. And all I have to do is just provide them with a little bit of guidance here and there and then let them do what they need to do. Awesome. Awesome. And wh what do you think is the balance between giving them an inch and then they, them taking a mile or you give them a finger and they take the entire hand? Like, wh where is that fine line yeah. as, a, as a manager? Where, where do you draw the line there? Or where do you find it, I should say? So I have to watch it. 
right? I, I mean, you have to monitor it. And the, the problem with most, you know, and you see this with a lot of entrepreneurs, small business owners who hire their first employee and their small business is their baby, right? It's, you know, they poured their heart and soul and their money into it. This is my baby. They hire their first employee because they're growing and expanding, but then they double check everything their employee does. They don't let them do anything. And, and eventually you're, what's the point? You just hired somebody so that you could do what you already were doing. Um, so I let them do it. And if they make a mistake, you know, I tell them all the time, what were you thinking? You know, were we, you know, if it was with a customer, what was the thought process? Well, you know, and sometimes they'll just tell me, I was thinking if it was my dad, this is what I would do. Can't argue with that. It's my philosophy, you know? So I may coach them and go, okay, well, we'll do it a little different here or there. But at the end of the day, I let them do what they need to do. And if you hire the right people and you have the right people on the team, hopefully they're not going to lie, cheat or steal from you. And they're going to do what they think is the right thing to do. If it's not, we'll have a discussion about it and go, Hey, I'd probably do it a little differently this way next time. And then we'll do some minor course corrections. Uh, and if they make wholesale big, you know, mistakes, they might not be the right person. And then you, you kind of have to sit down and reflect with yourself and go, Hey, do I have them you know, in the wrong chair? Maybe, or maybe they're just not a right fit for the team. And that's, you know, there's sometimes that's the case. When I first got here, I had somebody, you know, I had, we had a big meeting and somebody raised their hand and said, Hey, are you, uh, you know, are you going to get rid of anybody? And I told them, no, that's not my plan, you know, but here's the thing is you can have a Super Bowl winning quarterback and a Super Bowl winning head coach. But if we play different offenses, we may not fit well together. It doesn't mean the head coach is bad. It doesn't mean the quarterback's bad. It just means we don't play on the same system. You know, so there may be some of that. And, um, you know, so I, I think for the most part, I made a couple changes, but for the most part, you know, everybody really bought into the process and into the system. And, um, you know, and I just, I'm all about letting them do what they do. If they make a mistake, I'm going to correct it. If it's something illegal, you know, we'll have a real problem there, but most of the time it's not. And if anything, they're usually a little too shy. They don't want to go far enough. You know, and I had that a couple of times this weekend, right? Sit down with one of my sales managers. I'm kind of looking over his shoulder, watching the desk a deal. And he's like, oh, I'm not sure I have a deal. I go, okay, here, let me show you here. Let's do this. Let's do this. Let's do this. You can go a little further here. Now let's make the deal. I think if anything, you know, I need to push them a little more to go ahead and, and, you know, use their own thought process and, and, uh, you know, get outside of their own comfort zone a little bit. Absolutely. And that's awesome. So you're still training up almost everybody at your dealership then? Yeah. And most of it is virtually, you know, I've got, I think we have about 800 sales training videos on the platform. Um, Eric Thomas, the motivational speaker, he's got about a thousand motivational videos on there for me as well. Uh, I partnered with him when I created the platform. Yeah. So, you know, virtually I'm training everybody, obviously at some point, you know, you've, you've got to scale it and that's, you know, that's what I've created. So, you know, I guess not only am I training my guys, but I'm training a whole bunch of other guys and gals across the country in the car business. But yeah, that, that's, uh, that's the way I do it with that. And then, you know, like I said, we play one video every day and we talk about that video and it's usually me, I'd say eight times out of 10, it's me. And, you know, just, I love it. That's one of the things I love is being in front of salespeople, helping them grow, helping them, you know, sometimes it's just their own barrier that they've placed. You know, I can't do this. And, you know, and I tell them, Hey, I mean, I, I grew up in a single white trailer. My dad was in prison my entire life. You know, wow. anybody can do this, you know, but you've got to change your mindset and go, yeah, okay. I can sell 20 cars or I can sell 30 cars. Or maybe it's 15. Maybe they've never sold 15. I can sell 15, you know, so it's just getting out of your own way and going, yeah, I can do that. Yeah. Not let those mental roadblocks get in the way. I love that. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Where do you see the biggest opportunity in sales being over the next five years? Making the adjustments, honestly. Um, you know, sales has changed dramatically. I got into this discussion on Facebook, which you know how that goes sometimes. 
with this, uh, it was a finance group that I'm in and the finance guy was talking about how, uh, you know, the customer was stupid because they didn't, they couldn't figure out their own payments. You know, they forgot to add sales tax in when they calculated the payment, which that happens. Uh, but they box close at that dealership, which means all they're doing, the salesperson, the manager is negotiating the price of the car or the trade difference figure. And then they give it back to finance. It's like a house of cards and they give it back to finance and the finance manager closes them on payment rate, and adds the product and that sort of thing. And, um, you know, I'm like, God dang, I, the eighties called and they want their sales process back. And I had several people kind of defend the way that they do it. And I just said, I don't know. I mean, at the end of the day, uh, I think if you're a great salesperson, you know, and you've got the slick back hair and you all the word tracks, you know, maybe it might, might work for you. It doesn't work for me. Cause I always look at what's the customer experience. And we present ourselves as professional salespeople. But if the customer asks, hey, what's my interest rate? Oh, wait, we have to negotiate the price of the car first. I have no idea what the rate is. And I can't tell you, once we negotiate the price of the car, then I need you to go in the back over here into the box and renegotiate with somebody else to get the... I mean, that is just an atrocious customer experience. But there's a lot of dealers out there that do it. So I think, you know, people like that, that aren't willing to make an adjustment to you know, some sort of smoother sales process and just about anything is smoother than that. You've got the Vrooms and the Carvanas taking market share from us, not because, you know, they've got an incredible price on their car or even because the process is really all that incredible, but it's because our process is atrocious. The price of their car is more, you know, we've seen CarMax. If you look at their prices on their used cars, they're the highest prices in town. They pay more money at the auction than anybody. And then they then in turn price their cars higher than anybody in town. But yet the CarMax down the road sells 450 used cars. Why is that? Because the process is incredible. They have non-commissioned salespeople, no negotiation, and they sell a ton of cars. And they have the highest PBR in used cars of any publicly traded company out there. So oh, uh, it's, it's just really frustrating to me, the people that won't make that shift because this is the way I've always done it or it's working for me now. Um, but the consumers, they don't want to do that. They'll go through our process if they have to. Uh, you know, if you're the only dealer around and you've got the only car that they're interested in, but I promise you, they don't want to go through that process, especially when there's something else out there. And if they ever do find a better process, they'll, you'll never see them ever again. They will go, wow, I've been doing it this way for so long. Oh my gosh there's a better and easier way to do it. So I think making that adjustment, you know, from, uh, you know, being that, uh, you know, closer old school type, you know, put the screws to them type of a salesperson to being a little smoother. And I'm not saying not a closer because we're still selling, we still got to close, but you know, you need to approach it a little differently than how we did before. And, you know, you see a lot of salespeople will pound themselves on the chest going, Oh yeah, that, that customer was stupid, blah, blah, blah. And you know, I, I tell my guys, not all stupid people take the bus. Not all angry customers take the bus. They drive a car. So I want to be the person to sell them a car, you know, pounding yourself on the chest. And yeah, I told him that doesn't do you any good. They're going to go down the road and buy a car from somebody else. Yeah. And I'm upset now. I want that somebody to be me. So having that, you know, the attitude that, you know, the customer's wrong or, you know, like this guy said, I'm like, so stupid. She didn't add sales tax into her payment. Well, you know what? If, if your process would have been different and you would have negotiated the payment upfront, considering 90% of our buyers are payment buyers anyways, then you could have figured that out up front and maybe switched her cars or maybe bumped her. But after she's been there for two, three hours negotiating on a deal, now she's in the finance office, you know, negotiating her rate and her payment and all that. Now she's like, ah, screw it. I'm ready to leave. You know? So, um, I just think that long answer, but I think making that adjustment, uh, to what sales 
is going to look like in the future is going to be mission critical. Because if you don't, somebody else is going to. And I tell my guys that all the time. If you don't appraise a trade over the phone, somebody else is going to. Now, I'm not saying we want to appraise every trade over the phone because you're going to miss some, right? But if you don't do it, somebody else is going to. You know, and, you know, we'll talk about if we can, obviously the goal is to get a customer into the dealership, but I'll sell somebody a car who doesn't come into the dealership. Now, is the likelihood I'm going to close them higher if they visit the store? Of course it is. That's why I want them in store. But if they don't want to come into the store, guess what? I'm not going to force them to come into the store because somebody else is going to do the deal the way they want to do the deal. I want that somebody to be, to be me. I want to sell every car. I don't want anybody to buy a car from anybody else. Got it. Got it. And that that's a really great process, especially when you add those little micro adjustments on how to really fine tune the customer experience. Uh, I wanted to backtrack just a little bit here, going back into a uh, customer not wanting to come into the dealership. Did you guys experience that a lot with uh, COVID? And uh, how did you guys, what was your workaround for that? Yeah. So I bought the store or we bought the store in August. And by then I'll be honest with you, there was a lot of COVID fatigue. We had no problems getting any people in the store. Awesome. You would have a small section of people that didn't want to come in the store and we would do the remote delivery and that sort of thing. Um, we started a, an online buying process on both of our uh, Kia and Chevrolet websites. And, you know, we had a small take rate on that. Nothing astronomical, but it's there to help the people that, that don't want to negotiate or don't want to come in and that sort of thing. But for the most part, I, I think most people had no problems coming into the store. You know, obviously the, the dynamic of, what it looks like is different. You know, everybody's got their mask on, but you know, I, I think people coming in the store really wasn't dramatic. You know, we had a few people that want to work some things out over the phone a little bit ahead of time, check availability. That was a big one because the used cars were such a tight supply and they'd sell so quick. Same thing with the new cars on the general motor side, especially, uh, you know, the, the inventory at one point in time, I think we had two silver autos on the ground, uh, which is just, you know, we should have 200. So, you know, some of that, you'd get some people trying to basically save themselves a trip down there. Uh, but yeah, we really never struggled too much with getting people down to the store. Well, that, that's great to hear then. I'm really glad that you guys were able to get, get over that hurdle without much effort. <laughs> Let's see here. So I know that you, that you were a, a dropout as well. I did read that in one of your articles. I was just wondering yeah. uh, if you could give any motivation to somebody that's considering not going to school or maybe considering a different path. And what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think the, the dynamic, and you're already starting to see this shift happen pretty dramatically. You know, colleges, whenever they started 500 years ago or whenever it was, they were the only place with information. So if you wanted, and I'm not meaning to rhyme here, but if you wanted knowledge, you had to go to college. That was the only place you could get information. And now, uh, you know, you've got this thing called the internet. You can learn anything you want. On, I swear to God, there's probably a YouTube video on how to do brain surgery. You know, you can learn anything you want on the internet. So the need to go to school to get information is just not there anymore. Unless you're a doctor or a lawyer or some sort of certificate, there's no need to go to school anymore to get information. You can get more and better information online probably and save yourself you know, a whole bunch of money. So I don't think it's as important as it used to be. Now there's, you can make the argument for the social aspect of it and the maturing and you know, learning and, and all sorts of things. And sure, you know, absolutely. But um, I'll tell you, you know, and I think I heard Gary Vee talk about this, but basically it's, you know, you come out of college at the end of four years, you're 22 years old and you've got fifty, hundred thousand dollars in student loan debt. And you go out and you get a job making 40 or $50,000 a year. 
versus you, let's say right out of high school, you go learn a trade. Welders right now are making $100,000 a year plus. So you could have four years of making, you know, you're probably not going to make a hundred right out of the bat, but you know, 60, 70, 80, up to a hundred thousand dollars a year for those four years with no debt. And you're, you know, you and your buddy are 22 years old and they're coming out of school in debt, making 40 grand a year. You're at that point in time, making a hundred grand a year with no debt. I'm not sure how important that is. You know, the, uh, a lot of the trades are, they're super tight supply because of what the past generations, the pressure that the past generations put on going to school and don't doing trade work. You know, you don't want to get your hands dirty, And that's just, it's, it's wrong. I think you know, we did a whole bunch of kids a disservice and um, you know, and then you've got the sales industry and uh, obviously it changed my life and there's no need to go to school for it. Um, and, and you see even, you know, the Amazons now and um, you know, a lot of these companies are putting much less emphasis on a college degree and, I think it's, I think it's so important. You know, these colleges, they, they, they keep raising the cost of entry to get to school and their relevance is just not nearly as important as it used to be. So I believe that at some point you'll start to see colleges similar to a newspaper. There'll be a few of them around, but they're just not as important as they used to be. And that's a great take. Thank you so much for that. Josh, um, I guess one yeah. of my last questions I want to ask you, obviously, it's the name of the show. How can reps close more deals? <laughs> yeah, I mean, boy, if I had the magic answer, I'd be a gazillionaire. Um, <laughs> but I, I think a, a lot of it is, so I, I break my sales process down in, in car sales to, to three steps. A lot of guys have seven steps, 10 steps, 12 steps, whatever. I have three steps. Number one, get to know your customer, right? Build some rapport, get to know them. Why are they buying? Why are they trading? Why are they looking to upgrade? Why are they looking to downgrade? Talk to them because most of the time they will tell you how to close them, but you've got to talk to them. You got to slow down a little bit. So step one is get to know your customer. Step two, land them on a vehicle or a product. If you're not selling cars, land them on something. You can't sell them something unless they're landed on something. So land them on something. And number three, sit them down. And sometimes that's virtually, you know, that, that sit them down has kind of looked different uh, these past year a little bit, but sit them down so that we can then talk to them about the numbers aspect of things. And, and that's, you know, from a closing standpoint, if you can do those three simple things, you're going to close more deals. But then the other thing is as salespeople, we've got to remember that uh, sales is a game like baseball and not like basketball. You know, basketball, if you're not shooting nine out of 10 free throws, you're not going to play the game. Baseball. If you can hit three out of 10 times, which means you're not hitting, you're striking out, you're doing, you know, flying out seven out of 10 times, you're failing twice as often as you're succeeding. If you can do that, you can bat 300, you're in the hall of fame. So that's the difference. And in sales, we've got to understand that we're going to fail more times than we're going to succeed. So we've got to change our mindset a little bit and stop looking for perfection and just going, okay, I'm going to do all the things I know I need to do to be successful today from a follow-up, from an activity standpoint, from a build rapport. I'm not going to skip any steps in my process. And all you can do is increase your likelihood of success. You're never going to bat 100, but what you can do is go from closing at 15% to 20, 20 to 25, you know, whatever your closing ratios are for you know, whatever you sell. But that's just, uh, that is so important to change that mindset and go, okay, I'm not looking for perfection. But what I do want is I want to have a series of wins so I tell my guys, when it comes to cars, you know, I'll ask, you know, and I'll, I'll do this at other dealerships too, but I'd ask them, you know, what's your goal when you get in front of a customer? Oh, my goal is to sell a car. 
wrong. That's not your goal. Because if your goal was to sell a car, every time you got in front of a customer, you're going to lose. And Eric Thomas says, losers lose and winners win. I don't want to be a loser. So you're going to lose way more times. So my goal when I get in front of somebody is I want to have a good meet and greet. That's it. I want to exchange names. I want to be pleasant. I want to have a good meet and greet. And then my goal is I want to take them on the lot and present them some vehicles. And then the goal is I'd like to go on a demo drive. And then the goal is I'd like to get inside the dealership. And then the goal is I'd like to show them some numbers. And then the goal is I'd like to close them. Now, the difference with that mindset is, is if I can get them all the way to numbers, I have just won four or five or six times along the way. I lost once. Guess what? I'm four and one. That's not bad. But if my goal is to sell them a car, I just lost. I'm 0 and 1 now. That's not very good. So if we create small wins throughout our day, we're constantly racking up and it's just mental, but we're racking up these wins. Now we're a winner. Sometimes it's, I tell some of my guys, Hey, your goal just needs to be get to work on time, right? That's the number one goal. You got to get to work on time. And so sometimes you got to back all the way up to the simplest of things. You know, I'm going to make my 10 phone calls. I'm going to, you know, go door knock, whatever your goals are. I just want to, I want to get out in the neighborhood so that you can achieve those goals. So you need to break your goals down much smaller than what you think they are. Your goal is not to close the deal. My goal is to, you know, make a hundred phone calls or my goal is to get somebody on the phone. My goal is to be able to demo my product, you know, wherever you're out in that sales process. But I see a lot of salespeople really try and make it bigger than what it is. No, let's just break it down. And you're going to next step, next step, next step until all of a sudden you've just next stepped yourself into a deal. But you know, that, that's kind of my philosophy with that. I love it. And that really reminds me of, I don't know if you've seen it. It's a video I saw on Facebook. I think it's of a, I think a, a Navy, a Navy guy. He was saying, uh, if you want to be successful, the first thing you got to do is make your bed. And then you always have. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. To- Admiral McRaven. Yeah, you can make your bed. He actually wrote a book about that, just that speech. It went viral. And yeah, he wrote a book about that. But yeah, it's all in how you start your day for him. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Those micro wins you were just talking about. Uh, thank you so much for your time, Josh. I really do appreciate it. If people wanted to connect with you or find you in Closing Big, how would they do that? Yeah, so closingbig.com, that'll get you to um, you know that website. And then Josh lets us on almost every other social media you know page. I'm on big on Facebook. Um, we're working on TikTok. We've got a couple of things going on TikTok, but Facebook is my, my biggest platform for sure. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you so much, man. Thank you for dropping some sales knowledge on us. And I'm really looking forward to maybe speaking to you again soon. Yeah, you bet. Awesome. Well, guys, thank you so much for joining us on today's podcast, uh, sponsored by CRM. We'll be talking to you guys next week. Thanks so much for listening to the Close More podcast. Do you have a question that you'd like me to answer raw and uncut on the podcast? All you need to do is head over to Apple Podcasts and do three simple things. Leave a rating and review telling me what you think of the podcast. In that review, ask me anything you want related to your industry or to yourself. And if you want a shout out, leave your Instagram handle or name. That's all. Then listen in to hear your question answered live, raw, and uncut. Join us next time on the Close More podcast sponsored by iSales CRM. Everyone have a great day.